This podcast is made possible by Workday and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Del Clark, CFO of Inspirage, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 351. With, with less companies being uh, public, either because the markets are uh, not as conducive for IPOs or the costs associated with being a public company are, are prohibitive, uh, private companies have become much more attractive. Uh, you don't have to look any further than companies like uh, Uber and Airbnb and, and those that are uh, huge companies but are all private. And I think that uh, that has been a uh, significant shift for me uh, over the last couple of uh, years, when uh, earlier on in my career, a public company CFO role was always a desire for me. From Middle Market Media, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. I'm Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to Kevin Bisson, CFO of Ipswich. Ipswich is the fifth company where Kevin has occupied the CFO office. He first entered the realm of finance leadership after having climbed the ranks inside the FP&A organization of United Technologies. He resided there for 10 years and then came to the conclusion it was time to step beyond the large enterprise and seize finance leadership opportunities. We explore that time with Kevin and more after these words from our sponsor. Just as a house needs a good foundation, your business needs a solid technology foundation. At Workday, a different approach to finance technology is giving growing mid-size organizations a distinct advantage. Workday's flexible architecture means that when business conditions change, finance can easily make changes to business processes. To learn more about how a finance system from Workday supports mid-size organizations from the ground up, visit us at Workday.com. Workday, built for the future. Hello, we're speaking to Kevin Bisson, CFO of Ipswich. Kevin, welcome. Thank you very much, Jack. Happy to be here. Kevin, as you might know, we'd like to begin by finding out a little bit about our guests and asking them to, you know, take a step back in time with us and share with us some of those career experiences they feel helped prepare them for a finance leadership role. When I ask you that question, what comes to mind? Well, I think the uh, three things that would uh, that come to mind in terms of uh, how my career has progressed. Uh, number one. I took somewhat of a traditional route. Uh, I was an accounting major in college. You may ask, well, why would you want to major in, in accounting? And that really boiled back down to high school. I, uh, I was encouraged by a high school uh, teacher that, uh, that if I had an interest in business that uh, I should take an accounting class in high school because it's the language of business. And I liked it enough uh, being someone who 
enjoyed math that I decided to pursue accounting in college. Took the traditional route uh, after college uh, of uh, entering into public accounting and becoming a CPA. And after doing that for about four years, figured that that was not something I wanted to do the rest of my life and essentially uh, decided that uh, uh, I wanted to become uh, more of a CFO and said the best path to do that is to uh, go back to graduate school and get an MBA. And so I um, left public accounting and essentially had some savings and decided to go back to graduate school full time. Uh, and um, after after graduate school, after you know, majoring in finance, uh, was fortunate enough to uh, work at United Technologies for 10 years. And uh, United Technologies really uh, allowed me to cut my teeth in both in finance, uh, in accounting, and as well as treasury. And the combination of those three uh, disciplines uh, helped me to uh, aspire ultimately to a um, CFO roles over the last uh, 15 years. Uh, three of those were public companies, all in tech, all software, uh, and all at varying sizes and rates of growth. And the last two opportunities have been on the private side, uh, where, uh, as most people know, uh, these days the uh, with, with less companies being uh, public, either because the markets are uh, not as conducive for IPOs or the costs associated with being a public company are, are prohibitive, uh, private companies have become much more attractive. Uh, you don't have to look any further than companies like uh, Uber and Airbnb and, and those that are uh, huge companies but are all private. And I think that uh, that has been a uh, significant shift for me uh, over the last couple of uh, years when uh, earlier on in my career a public company CFO role was always a desire for me. Uh, in terms of uh, events that I would say that have uh, helped me along the way, uh, number one, I was fortunate enough uh, earlier in my career to be a lead on an IPO. Um, uh, the company was Excellus Technologies, which is a semi-cap equipment company. We took public in 2000 at a valuation over a couple of billion dollars, and that was a, uh, a landmark event for me and I think for anybody that's gone through that. Uh, number two, I would say, is uh, the recent transaction with, uh, with Dine, my last uh, CFO role, where we were able to uh, successfully um, uh, sell the company to Oracle um, for uh, a, a significant valuation. And uh, completing that transaction was obviously a highlight for me as well. Uh, so it's been a uh, it's been quite a ride, but uh, I'm looking forward to um, uh, even more success here at Ipswich going forward. Also along the way, uh, well, between Arthur Anderson and, and United Technologies, you got an MBA. Why did you get an MBA? I was uh, looking for. A, uh, obviously coming out of graduate school, uh, a, um, a company that get, would give me the opportunity to see a number of different businesses under the same roof. Uh, because it, you know, at that point I didn't know, didn't want to, didn't want to get locked into a particular company or a particular industry. Uh, and what happened was between my first and second year of graduate school, um, one of the toughest things that they tell you in, in the MBA programs is not getting a full-time job, but it's getting an internship between your first and second year. And I actually sought out United Technologies um, 
and it's funny because you look, you, you hear the name United Technologies and say, well, what the heck is that? And then you look under the roof and say, okay, uh, let's see, I know Otis Elevator, I've heard of carrier air conditioning, I've heard of Pratt & Whitney jet engines, uh, I've heard of Sikorsky aircraft. Hey, that's a pretty neat company. I'd like to learn more about that. And um, really sought them out and got a, was fortunate enough to get an internship and then was uh, introduced to a, uh, a full-time uh, rotational program for MBA hires that uh, they asked me if I'd be interested in doing that after graduation and my experience between my first and second year was was very favorable and ultimately I decided to uh, uh, accept the uh, the invitation you know for that full-time role in the rotational program and that gave me exactly what I was looking for which was a two-year program that allowed me to see four different businesses within, you know, as I said, under the roof of United Technologies and allowed me to make a more informed decision in terms of where I wanted to spend uh, my full-time role after the rotational program, you know, within the particular division I wanted to at United Technologies, which ultimately was, was carrier air conditioning. Now, you've been CFO prior to um, Ipswich uh, for four different companies. Um, yep. it, did they have anything in common? or I mean, is there a common thread here? It, it, the weight class of companies similar? Uh, what would you tell us? Commonality is technology. I, um, once I, I, I spent 10 years at United Technologies. It was a terrific experience. I loved it. It it allowed me again to cut my teeth in terms of really becoming a uh, a better uh, finance person and a better business person. Um, but ultimately, I I wanted to be a CFO, ideally of a public company, and I knew that you know the chances of that happening at United Technologies was obviously pretty slim given the size of the company. Um, so. But my focus going leaving United Technologies was to um, was to get into the tech. I, I really have an interest in technology companies, um, and so uh, whether it you know if you look at my background, it's primarily software. Although I've I've had experience in semiconductor capital equipment companies. I've had uh, um, I've had experience in 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 hardware type companies. Uh, I've had a lot of experience in software, but I, the, the common thread or the common theme has always been technology because uh, I, I, lo I love it. I love the idea that uh, technology changes how we do things going forward. And let's be honest, I think uh, where tech is is where growth is, and where growth is ultimately is where shareholder value is. And so, um, that's really been my mantra, and uh, and you know I've continued that that thread of a technology-based company, primarily in the software side recently. But you know I've done done some hardware as well. Uh, that that has been the thread, and I continue to pursue that. You know even with the Ipswich uh, opportunity that I'm in right now. And I I look at your career and I think of like uh, two two chapters. You might look at at it differently, but. When you first step out beyond United Technologies, again, you mentioned that company that you took public, Excellus. Can you tell us, uh, it, it would seem to me that that was a, a really pivotal time for you. You were, you were stepping beyond where you had built your career. Tell us a little bit about your decision-making 
uh, that led you to do that? What Was it just the timing? The time was now. It was a more senior role. You were ready to move on. Yeah, it was it was a really tough decision. Think about it. You know, I was there, as you said, um, roughly about 10 years. And uh, when I was um, progressing through United Technologies, you know, in, you know, I'll call it succeedingly diff- more difficult positions and, you know, running up the chain, I honestly thought I was going to stay there the rest of my career. Um, you know, I, I, I looked at my dad. He spent his entire, you know, 35-year career at the same company. I had a brother that spent most of his career at the same company. Um, you know, I had a lot of um, friends that had stayed at uh, their companies for a long time. So I, when I went to, U, you know, the UTC, United Technologies, uh, I really thought it was going to be a, a career, you know. And, and again, the thought process being a big company like that, it's going to have a ton of opportunities. You can move from one division to the other. You can sort of, you know, essentially create a career within a company where you see a lot of different companies and industries and, and, and different ways of doing things. Um, but I, I, the tough decision for me at that point was um, I really wanted, I really wanted a CFO role where I was, you know, the, the top finance guy in the organization. And um, those are tough positions to get, obviously, in a company like United Technologies. You know, the, obviously the top position is, you know, very, very difficult given the size of the company and, and, and the number of people there. But I really wanted that, and I had to balance the um, the opportunity to uh, stay in a very, very good company, United Technologies, a, a company that – I still own a lot of stock in, and it's done very well, and I have a lot of respect for the company and learned a lot there. But I I really wanted my essentially my own CFO role that I could just, you know, essentially have my own imprint. And and, and knowing that I was going to go into a probably a much smaller company and probably know that, you know, I, I would probably have to move around a lot because, you know, you're not going to stay – CFO of these smaller companies forever. You know, you're just going to have to, you know, figure out that, you know, your time is going to be uh, finite at those opportunities. So that was a real tough decision. And when I did, you know, move on to Excellus, it was tough from, from the standpoint of understanding what the career move was. It was tough because I had to make a move physically, uh, move my family. Um, but I did it. I have no regrets. Uh, I, have no re- I have no regrets at all at UTC. Um, my career there was was a you know it was it was essentially like a GE you know in terms of how they prepare people um, and uh, but no regrets leaving it because I think it was the right thing for me and I've been happy with the progression uh, of CFO roles that I've taken since I left United Technologies. Want to talk about your new role now? Uh... So you've done this drill before, meaning you've gotten into a new role, looked at the lay of the land, and understood how your leadership. Uh, was required and how to apply it. But what would you share with us uh, when you stepped in to the CFRO at Ipswich, which I know is fairly recently, but what is the kind of job now that you're prepared to create for yourself? What do you envision here for yourself? Uh, You know, it's funny because I (laughs) – one of the lessons I've learned, you know, having moved in multiple CFO roles – 
I have um, learned that the uh, you almost have to look at these roles like a um, like a potential investor. You know, you 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 got to do your diligence on you know the company, and it's not just you know is the finance staff good, is the accounting staff good? Have they had accounting issues or financial restatements, audit problems? Um, you have to really look at it like, okay, where where can where can there be value added? Whether it's shareholder value, whether it's you know increasing the the um, the value of the business moving forward and is there a path to do that and that's really the skill set that I try to bring into opportunity or look at opportunities you know for CFO roles going forward because um, let's be honest at the end of the day our, our, our roles as CFO is there is a compliance function associated with the CFO role but ultimately you know we're here to to help companies um, make better decisions that ultimately will lead to uh, increased shareholder value um, compared to the, what, what it is today. So, um, you know, I think with Ipswich in particular, I was attracted to the fact that it is a, obviously it's got staying power. It's been around for a while. It is, um, it is a, um, a very, um, it's a very profitable company, but it also has tremendous opportunities in terms of uh, growth going forward. Uh, and I think that my abilities in the past of helping companies scale uh, will hopefully come to bear here, uh, as well as an ability to understand, uh, you know, the software market both from a from a, uh, a network standpoint as well as an application standpoint. Uh, which we touch on, you know, which our products touch upon, um, can also bring to bear uh, increasing shareholder value moving forward. Let's find out a little bit about Ipswich. Can you tell us something about the uh, the offerings, its offerings, and the uh, competitors out there? That sure, sure, Jack. I I think the um, the best way to portray Ipswich is that uh, you know, it, as I said, privately owned software company. Uh, located just north of Boston, it's been uh, it's been around for, for a bit. It's been around since the 90s. Uh, it is a uh, company that specializes in two types of software. One is uh, what we call network performance monitoring software. Think of that as uh, your your IT organization um, using our software to to essentially monitor uh, your servers, your um, your applications, your uh, your infrastructure to make sure that everything is uh, operating, and if it's not, they're warning you beforehand uh, so that you can take corrective actions before uh, problems uh, occur down the road. Uh, so that's one piece of the business, and um, the other piece of the business is what we call managed file transfer software. Think of this as um, if you're a healthcare organization or a financial institution. Uh, that has uh, customer information that uh, you want to transfer from um, one network, either inside your firewall or outside your firewall, to another network. You want to protect that information, that personal information. So, you know, our software essentially will will take that information, uh, encrypt it, put it in a secure uh, format, 
transfer it over to another network and then have that unencrypted and you know available for use in the other network. So we're essentially guaranteeing that that, that information um, is being um, transferred you know in a secure fashion, which as you can imagine, given the instances of um, that, that companies like Target or Equifax have gone through over the last uh, few months, this is a, a fairly hot topic um, moving forward, and we have a lot of um, high, high uh, prospects and potential for this business moving forward. Um, real briefly, um, can't get into the specifics in terms of financials because we're a private company, but... Uh, our customer base is primarily uh, in the small to medium-sized businesses, although we do have some enterprise customers. Um, but it's essentially a um, an SMB play, uh, and we've had um, you know obviously great success in terms of uh, not only uh, growth but also retention of customers. What are the metrics then that you will be paying close attention to going forward? Yeah, I I had a. Uh, a SaaS background in my uh, prior company, and while this company is not entirely SaaS, it is moving in that direction. So I think um, the metrics that I find important that uh, I'm trying to bring to bear here is, um, I would say, on a global basis. Obviously, we're we're a uh, a, a bookings focused business. Um, both on the licensing side, because we do some a lot of on-prem software uh, installations, but you know the other thing that's very important for the, you know for Ipswich as well as other software companies is you know is the maintenance side of the business because it's obviously extremely profitable. But we're we're not only looking for growth on the maintenance side, but also looking for or, or really focusing on retention rates. You know how how well are we keeping those customers in terms of uh, you know renewing their maintenance agreements year to year, um, and how do we improve that going forward, whether it's through um, um, you know, increasing features and functionality that we provide in our products, the customer service that's involved, um, you know, a lot of the things that you see in, in, in really good and well-run SaaS companies is, is applicable here as well. And what I'm trying to do is bring more focus on that, both from a um, you know, from a quantitative standpoint so that we can measure it, but also from an organizational standpoint as well in terms of putting uh, organizations or suggesting how organizations should be structured to accommodate that. The other things that we're focusing on is uh, is the front end of the business, which is critically important in, in a business like this, um, where we're trying to bring, trying to bring more um, measurement, uh, more uh, a quantitative focus on the flow of leads from, uh, you know, when customers visit our website all the way through the journey to, you know, a closed order. And this is a process that has been, uh, I'll call it, uh, more uh, qualitative and less quantitative. And I'm trying to bring a little more discipline there to that, to that focus to make sure that we can make the business ultimately more predictable and, and also to, uh, obviously, in that context, grow the business faster than what we're growing it today. I want to ask you about SaaS because you mentioned how your prior company was also uh, a software-as-a-service uh, company. The more we talk to finance leaders, there seems to be some excitement around how they can measure and, and use data 
in sort of this subscription-based model and how they're able to really get a, a stronger or wider view into performance. Am I overstating that? Did that weigh into your decision-making? Yes. In fact, that, that's sort of what I was trying to get at in terms of um, bringing, bringing to this business uh, experiences that I've had in, uh, in my prior position uh, that, at Dine, which is a all SaaS company. Uh, the beauty of SaaS businesses is that um, they, they can be, they are measurable and therefore when run properly can ultimately become almost like machines at, you know, in terms of the front end of the business where you can literally track uh, a lead from, uh, you know, your, for, for a potential customer coming to your website and then following that journey right through um, to an eval, to a, an evaluation of your product, to how it's being, you know, how that lead is being nurtured by your, your marketing folks, uh, how it gets into your pipeline, how it's handed off into sales, and how sales will essentially uh, track that right through until, you know, they've closed the order. And, and the, what I found with what really attracted me to SaaS, you know, being a numbers guy and being a quant guy is that um, if you've got the right people and the right systems, um, then you can, and obviously a product <laughs> or, or, or a SaaS offering that, you know, is attractive to, to people or the customers, um, you can really run the front end of your business almost like a, like a well-oiled machine. And, and that's, that's what, makes um, that's what it you know it's in, what makes SaaS companies uh, very attractive not only to, to the CFOs but also to investors um, never mind the fact that you know it's a high recurring revenue business uh, it's very sticky and particularly if your you know your, your, your product is is got incremental features each year and your your service is top-notch um, and where there is predictability is is where um, where you generate value for investors. And that's sort of the thing that, you know, not that Ipswich is a SaaS company, but we are moving in that direction. And that's what attracted me to Ipswich is that we can, you know, that I could bring that experience uh, to Ipswich, even, even though it's not totally SaaS business, a lot of the principles of a SaaS software uh, modus operandi in terms of the front of the business can be brought brought into a traditional on-prem software business as well, and you can continue to run it that way. And I think that that's worth something that we're, we're doing, you know, as we speak in Ipswich to, to make it more, um, uh, more functional at the, at, at the front end, like uh, predictable and, and, and quantitatively run as opposed to, um, you know, a more traditional um, qualitative look at, at, at the sale at the performance of the marketing and sales organizations but uh, very um, it's, a, it's a great point because I, I am a firm believer in SAS I think that uh, that will be the uh, the predominant way that customers will be buying software going forward if they haven't already it's already in the application world and I think it's going to ultimately move its way into the uh, into the infrastructure as well and and honestly, you know, um, getting back to dying, where my prior experience, you know, uh, the, the 
the ultimate buyer of Dyn, Oracle, is going through that transition as we speak. You know, an on-prem software company that is that is moving to the cloud and ultimately to a SaaS business model. Fault Leader listeners, we ask Kevin whether he's experiencing greater professional satisfaction as a finance leader inside the SaaS realm than during his earlier tours of duty as a CFO. He supplies us with a thoughtful answer after these words from our sponsor. You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. The more we speak to SaaS finance leaders, you get a sense that they're um, in their professional lives, they're experiencing something perhaps that they haven't before, which is they feel as though they're... Uh, whether it's a more suddenly the the leadership roles become more creative. No, Jack, that's a great point. Um, I kind of <laughs> sort of reflecting on my career. It's 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 kind of funny you mentioned that. You know, when I go back earlier in my career, um, you know, the focus was was in, in in some of my early companies. The focus was really on selling hardware. Think of it as a box so to speak. I'm just doing this, you know, generically, but, you know, we were, we, you know, the businesses were generally selling tangible boxes that, you know, customers would buy, but the functionality within that box included not only the hardware itself, but also the software. And I think as my career progressed, um, and really, this was evident in my stay at at Sea Change, which was a uh, which is a video on demand uh, hardware and software provider. Um, it was at that point where I think um, at Sea Change and other companies said, you know what, um, the value in the product that we're selling is not really the box itself, but it's really the brains in it, which is the software. And we're not getting the necessary value out of the box or the product by embedding the software in the hardware because think about it, you know, the hardware might last five, six years, but you're constantly adding features and functionality to the software on an annual or even a semi-annual basis, but you're only selling the, the, the combined product only when, when they needed the hardware as well. So at C-Change, we, we decided, you know what, the value's in the software, not the hardware. Let's separate the software and we'll sell the hardware and the software separately and that actually worked out really well to the point where you know the software business was dominant relative to the hardware business and that that's sort of a microcosm of, of my career where uh, I started out in a lot of hardware businesses particularly at you know United Technologies is selling tangible product for lack of a better term to the point now where you know sea change was sort of the midpoint where it's okay now it's time to separate 
the software from the hardware because that's where the value is. And now the last several companies I've been at, it's just been purely software. And I think that's just a microcosm of how, um, you know, technology has differed over the years and how it's been selling its products to the point now where um, most of your tech companies are, 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 are software or, you know, software-related. And the models have changed as well from, as I said, on-prem on software installations to, you know, cloud-based, uh, you know, access software through SaaS business models, which, again, is, is something that I firmly believe in and, and will continue going forward. But for the CFO, it's also changed, as you pointed out and I mentioned earlier, in terms of how a CFO says, how do we, how do we look at the business from the standpoint of, um, tracking and planning and forecasting software revenue versus hardware revenue, and you're not you're not counting boxes anymore. You're you're at, you're, you're and you're not necessarily counting licenses that are being sold anymore. Now it's a situation where you're 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 selling essentially contracts for services for the right to use that software, and 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 that model of how you understand the business and understand the front end of the business where it now can be more quantitatively focused and, um, and 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 really measuring marketing and sales interaction in their ability to uh, nurture generate and ultimately uh, turn leads into orders is has really been totally different than how we forecasted the business when back in my earlier in my career which is essentially just how many boxes did you sell and when did you deliver it and you know has the delivery process been completed? It, it, it's been remarkable how that has changed over my career. There was little question in our mind that our conversation uh, with Kevin was getting uh, increasingly more thoughtful, and we wanted to uh, not edit him down to a single episode, so we're uh, we've packaged the second part of our interview in our next episode, and we look forward to sharing more of Kevin's story and his thoughts with you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. And don't forget, Thought Leader listeners, you can now go premium at CFOThoughtLeader.com.